everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and this is a special uh, bonus episode this week. I know we've been like doubling or tripling up the last couple of weeks on podcast episodes because uh, well, they're fun to record and there's lots of exciting things going on in our state. Uh, but today I am joined in studio by not Scott. Um, he will be here later this week. Um, but I'm joined by Sabina Brown from Oklahoma Policy Institute. Hello, Sabina. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And also on the phone, we have Carly Putnam from OK Policy. Hello, Carly. Hey there. How are you? Hanging in there. Great. Well, thanks for joining us by phone. You're in Tulsa. We're sad you couldn't be here. Next time, you'll have to make the drive down. We'll or, make that work. Or... We've got the equipment. I could come to you with our podcast stuff. Um, I like this plan even better. <laughs> that's, that's right. You're like, so far. Well, if, if we can meet at uh, Andalini's Pizza, I, I will come just for that. I'm down with this plan. That was all it took, man. You should have told us. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so the reason that we're doing a special episode this week is that next week is the uh, Rally to Restore Sanity and or Healthcare. <laughs> Is that the is that the correct title? I think it's an interesting spin on the title. I, I may have missed it a little bit, um, but we want to talk about healthcare. So this last year, I feel like education was certainly the um, like lightning rod issue of the year. Uh, this year, the Oklahoma Ed community is desperately trying to keep education in the conversation, um, but I think we've seen a shift at the state level and the national level. Um, around healthcare, uh, and certainly that impacts us here in Oklahoma in lots of significant ways. I know listeners um, hear Scott and I talk about it often. Scott works in healthcare, as do I, and so it's a an issue that is near and dear to our hearts outside of our interest in, in state politics. But um, So maybe, uh, Sabina and Carly, if you could start us off a little bit in this conversation and talk about what the current state of healthcare is in Oklahoma. Sure, I can start. Um, we're just really falling behind in how well we're taking <laughs> care of the health of our citizens, and we have been for a while. I mean, we, we're always on the bottom of the rankings on how healthy our citizens are, and we're on the top of the list on the number of Oklahomans that don't have health insurance. Right. Um, and other states have done the right thing over the past several years and have accepted federal funding to start providing health insurance to people um, to get them the quality health care that they need. Uh, and we're one of the few states that hasn't done that yet. Hmm. Um, we keep refusing that funding, and uh, we just think that you know this is the year to make that happen. Right. Well, and there's been some discussion about this, right? Particularly as Governor Stitt uh, touts us needing to be and wanting to be a top 10 state, which I think we can all get behind. Right now, we're just top 10 in like syphilis and things that we <laughs> that we don't right. want. Um, but uh, I think from the beginning of session, in fact, we, I think on this program, we may have visited with Senator McCourtney a couple of months ago about his bill that he had out there to um, potentially expand Medicaid through a Oklahoma option or something. Um, do you, uh, maybe before we kind of get into what options are out there, let's let's paint the picture a little more vividly about what types of coverage are available right now and, and what the, the insurance world looks like. Carly, you want to speak to that? Yeah, I can jump on that. And just, I have some great graphs just 
pretend you can see them Great. while I'm talking. Hey, if you want to um, send those to me, I'll put them up on the blog post with this episode as well. Oh, man, I may have to do that. Um, so about um, most Oklahomans who have health coverage get it through their employer or the employer of their spouse or parent. Um, this is called employer-sponsored insurance, um, and it's pretty normal. But there are a lot of folks for whom that's not available. So obviously people, people who are retired um, have Medicare, um, and then people who are very low income, um, some of them have access to Medicaid. And then a lot of Oklahomans are just uninsured um, in many cases because they don't have access to any form of care at all. Um, Medicaid in Oklahoma, we call our program here Sooner Care because states like to put their own branding on their Medicaid programs. In Wisconsin, it's called Badger Care. So, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> that one sounds more um, aggressive. <laughs> but um, Sooner Care covers um, a lot of low income kids. Um, pregnant women, um, adults who are age-blind or have disabilities, um, and some very low-income parents, but parents who are not basically destitute but also not at 100% of the poverty level um, don't have access to coverage through Sooner Care, and childless adults don't have access to coverage through Sooner Care. So if you're um, a, so, sorry to cut you off, but if you so if you're a, an able-bodied adult. I, and I, the term able-bodied always kind of makes me shiver because it gets thrown around in these conversations. But let's say you are a, just an, an adult Oklahoman. You don't have any kids. Um, maybe you work part-time or even full-time, but at a, at a fairly low-wage job, Medicaid is not available to you in most cases, right? Correct. I mean, the line I use is that if OK Policy went away tomorrow, um, me and my lungs that don't work would be out of luck. Right. This is, yeah. Yeah, and through this campaign, we've met some people that have been caught in this in this gap, and they're just, they're horrible stories. Um, one woman that, we, that we've talked to, she has, um, her son was born with spina bifida, mm. um, and for the longest time, she worked full-time. She worked in the parts department for a trucking company, um, and then as her son's health condition got worse, she obviously had to quit working to start taking care of him. Um, and thanks to her son being on Medicaid and because she was a, a parent, she was able to get health insurance through our, our Sooner Care program. Um, during this time, she started having neurological symptoms, started having seizures, got diagnosed with MS and epilepsy. Hmm. Um, and so for a while, she was able to get the care she needed because she was on Medicaid. But by the time her son turned 19, her son is officially an adult now, she lost her health insurance. But she's <laughs> because she had health insurance through her son because of her son, which is not backwards, because of her, right. right? Exactly, it is totally backwards. Um, and obviously, in that time, she didn't get healthy enough to to start working. Uh, she still had MS and epilepsy, um, and so she pieces together her her healthcare basically. Now she gets some help through the MS Society, which gives her some assistance with prescription medicines and helps her see a neurologist. Um, but she's really just getting care for like immediate needs. Right. Um, and she has other health conditions that are just kind of going ignored right now because she she can't afford to she can't afford to go. Right. Now, Carly, and her story, I think, is one of the reasons that the term able-bodied is so pernicious. Right. <laughs> um, because she, she, I mean, she can't work. She can do, she can sort of function around the house with tasks that can be put off and that she could, you know, MS comes and goes. Seizures obviously come and go. Um, and so 
she's able to help take care of her son. She's able to live somewhat independently, but she can't get and hold a job. Um, and so she's one of these people who, by all measures, sh- you know, we should be helping her get access to care. Um, and she can't get it. She, I think she was just denied for disability for the fifth time. Sabina, do I have that right? Yes. And, and the irony of this is one of the reasons that she was denied for disability is because she didn't have enough tests to prove that she was disabled, tests that she cannot get done because she doesn't have the insurance to pay for those tests. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So she's just caught in this this horrible catch-22 situation. Right. So, um, I have... So I have a, a client story as well, and I think most of our listeners probably know that I uh, work in healthcare with people living with HIV, which in and of itself is no longer a uh, disabling illness, right? For the vast majority of folks with HIV, they are able to take medication and do pretty well. Um, and then in extreme cases when they are very, very sick, like if they haven't been on medications or um, they've got some other complicating features, then they, they might qualify for a short time. I think there's still some misnomers out there that HIV by itself means you get disability, and that was the case like 30 years ago. That is not the case now. Uh, but we had uh, a, a patient recently who had, she has a child, and and she had uh, Medicaid at Sooner Care because she was pregnant, and then she delivered the child, lost the sooner care, I think, you know, shortly thereafter, like, mm-hmm. I feel like it used to be six months and now it feels like it's like six hours. I mean, like we have people like the next right. day that like, they're like, Oh, I got a letter. Um, and so then, uh, she got pregnant again. And at some point in here, she, the, the father of her child, um, was paying child support and that now doesn't that factor in to people's eligibility somehow, Carly? Um, I believe child support cooperation does. I'm unsure on the rest of it. Okay, so like, what what is that like? If if uh, let's say if a mother is receiving child support from the father of the child, does that count as cooperation? I believe so. Okay, so this is I'm this was just yesterday, so I'm still trying to get the details. But he died somehow, and and then so she lost her Medicaid because. The father of her child who was paying child support could no longer pay child support because he was dead. And so she lost her health insurance. Um, but she didn't know that for a couple of months. And she has some uh, co-occurring illnesses. And so now, yesterday, her doctor was in my office like, we've got to do something. And I was like, well, I can't bring him back from the dead. But she doesn't. She also doesn't. She works, but she doesn't get insurance through work. She has a, a fairly low-wage job. She's not currently pregnant, and so, and it would not be wise for her to get pregnant right now. And so I was like, well, the options are very limited. Um, and she didn't find out she lost Medicaid, so it's been long enough now that she can't enroll in the marketplace because she's missed the mm. window for that. So she's in a bit of a pickle. And I thought, this is nuts. It's someone um, like, uh, like the client you guys have uh, been talking about where they work, they have a chronic illness that is super manageable if they have access to healthcare to pay for it. But she she doesn't she works but not doesn't make much money and is actively like trying to provide for herself and her family and be a member of society but still can't because she's in this like weird hole where healthcare should be available but isn't right now. 
And I think that really highlights the population that's affected. I think there's this conception that, uh, or perception that people just worked harder. You know, if, if they would just get a job (laughs) and work harder, take better care of themselves and they would have insurance, they wouldn't have, have these problems, but it's, it's circumstances are really out of someone's control. I mean, everybody could, is, could lose a job at any moment right. and lose their health insurance. You know, you, you can't just work harder and not have MS or, or, right. or epilepsy. You know, I mean, we're, we're all just one diagnosis away from, from being in the same situation. Yeah. And I think, go ahead, And Carly. so often when we talk about how people should work harder, we take what is definitely a systemic issue. We make it an individual issue, right? Well, like if you would just do this thing, which ignores the fact that are more than a hundred thousand Oklahomans, are in that boat. And that rather than relying on lots of individual people being Superman and overcoming what are in many cases just impossible circumstances, we have the ability to not require them to be Superman um, and allow them to get the health care they need and live the life that they want to live and that we want them to live, one where they're better able to take care of their kids and go to work and do all the things that we ask people to do. Right, right. So... You know, the other piece that gets brought up in any healthcare conversation is about the Affordable Care Act or the ACA or the Marketplace or Obamacare, whatever you want to call it. Um, how it's a do, Russian novel. It's got all these names. It does. That's right. Um, how, does, how does the ACA factor into healthcare in Oklahoma? Carly, I think Sabina's well, looking does. at you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very broad question. <laughs> so um, the coverage expansion that we're talking about is one that was authorized by the Affordable Care Act going on nine, ten years ago. Um, that the idea was that for people above the poverty level, um, they would have access to ideally either coverage through their jobs or they could purchase subsidized coverage through the federal marketplace through healthcare.gov. And that for people below the poverty level, states would accept this infusion of federal funds to expand their Medicaid programs to accommodate these people, mostly childless adults. And then we would ideally have sort of seamless coverage um, going starting at, you know, zero income and moving up the income scale. Um, But then that's not what happened. Medicaid expansion is optional. The Affordable Care Act became a political football And so what we really saw was access to care wound up being determined pretty much by the political climate where someone lived, um, which is really, really unfortunate. So we've seen some states that decided to take this football and just run with it that made pretty incredible gains um, in access to care and coverage. Um, Arkansas and Kentucky were both early adopters, and I believe both states had cut their uninsured rate in half within a year. Um, which is just incredible. And we know that when you expand eligibility to a particular group of people, more people who were previously eligible but not enrolled also sign up. Um, So in Oklahoma, that means we have the fourth highest child uninsured rate in the U.S., um, which is just bananas because theoretically Medicaid is much more available to kids than it is to adults. The eligibility levels are very different. But oftentimes parents just don't know that their child is eligible. Right. And so if you, if you um, expand access to one group of people, say parents or the friends of the parents, and go and sign up, they're more likely to get their kids enrolled as well. 
Um, so in the 37 states that have expanded access to coverage, some of which were quite recent, we can expect to see their uninsured rates to drop. We can expect to see uncompensated care rates drop. We can expect to see, and we have seen in states where this has been around for a bit longer, um, uh, increased utilization of super important screenings and preventive care measures. Um, whereas here, we've got so many people who are just getting by on hope. Um, and hope is great. Hope will not stitch up a bleeding wound. Hope will not help fix your pneumonia. Right, right. If you hope in one hand and go to the doctor in the other, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'll you started a parable and yeah. it's kind of well, yeah. Teach a man to fish and um, you can't afford health care. Uh, so, yes. When he gets food poisoning, he's out of luck. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, when you get laid off because your industry took a dip or something and then you're, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's too early in the day for this. (laughs) It is. Um, so Carly, to kind of summarize, if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, when the Affordable Care Act passed, the idea was if you make, um, if you have an income like roughly above a hundred percent of the poverty level, um, that you would be able to get insurance either through your job or through the marketplace. And then mm-hmm. anyone who had an income on the very low end, like less than the poverty level. And just to be clear, mm-hmm. the, the poverty level is only like $12,000 a year. Uh, and so, right. Right. The so idea, for a parent who's for a parent to even qualify for Medicaid, a single mother with one kid has to make like less than $8,000 a year. Right. Which is n- like, there's literally no way you could survive. And that's a whole right. other podcast about all of that. Um, so anyway, if you make less than $12,000 a year, the idea, um, was that then you would, every state would expand Medicaid and that would allow you to get insurance, um, coverage through, through that. However, Mm -hmm. not every state wanted to play by those rules. And so in states like Oklahoma, even though that was the plan, that's not how it worked out. And so if you have income, up in the, you know, above a hundred percent, in most cases you can get insurance either again through your job or through the marketplace. But if you mm-hmm. are, um, very low income, then you have no options. That's accurate. Okay. So I guess the summary there is poor people can't get healthcare. Yeah. Be in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the episode and title. Something, it's <laughs> something that's super interesting that we've seen, um, like Ohio has been tracking their expansion population really closely and doing a bunch of in-depth studies. Um, and they've found that for people in their expansion population, people who had a job um, when expansion took effect have said that having health care has made it easier for them to keep that job. And for people who didn't have a job but were looking for work have said that getting um, coverage helped them get their job. So if we want people to get the kind of jobs that help to lever themselves out of health care, tur- excuse me, to help lever themselves out of poverty, it turns out that having health care um, kind of helps. What a novel idea. This really okay, goes back yeah. to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like food, shelter, safety, um, health. And if you don't have one of those key things, it may be difficult to obtain the others. Right. Uh, like, as my boss can tell you, when I'm having an asthma flare, if I left my inhaler at home, I am not a good worker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, Sabina, what's the problem with that? Like, why don't, why haven't, why hasn't Oklahoma expanded Medicaid so far? 
Well, that that's an excellent question. <laughs> you know, it, it's worth noting that this is actually really popular on both sides of the aisle, Democrats, Republicans. Um, we've seen um, in this last election, uh, states, when their legislatures um, weren't doing the right thing, they went around their legislature and just put it on a ballot and right. let people vote on it. Um, and it's passing in very conservative states. I mean, we've seen uh, Utah, Nebraska, Idaho all vote for expansion. So if you if you can take the politics away from it, it actually is a very popular idea. So it's about people and not politics. It seems like it'll pass. You said it's popular on both sides of the aisle. Is right. that, do you mean that like in terms of the general voting populace or in terms of the state legislature? Like, is it is it popular on both sides of the aisle, inside and outside the Capitol, or is there a, a divide there? I would say in Oklahoma, we're hearing support from, from both sides of the aisle, that okay. this is a popular idea. So even legislators think this makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's definitely talk about it this session. Um, we just, as the people, need to keep the pressure on and just keep reminding them that this is what, this is what we want to do. Right. Um, I think part of that reason is we've seen... Um, again, that, that people are really good about getting what they want through ballot initiatives. Um, we saw it with the marijuana question um, when we, we couldn't get uh, marijuana laws passed that we just put it on the ballot and the people uh, voted on it. Um, legislatures now, the, the legislators now feel like they kind of have to go back and clean up that laws, those laws. Um, and I think they're feeling like you know, it, we know that people are going to, to vote on expansion if we don't do it. Um, and it's better that if we can just do it the way that we want to do it um, <laughs> right. and not have to go back and, and clean up the language. Um, so that's one reason why um, there's talk about this session. I think there's some hope to make this happen this session. Right. It, one of the things that I've come to appreciate about Oklahomans is that um, if if we want something done at some point... If the government's not going to do it, then we just figure out a way to fix right. it ourselves, right? right. Like, which is why I started this organization. <laughs> um, so that probably leads us to a good point of if you said that the what we need to do as the public is to keep the pressure up on our legislators about this because they, the legislators, might even be in favor of it, but they kind of need to know yeah, that I they're mean, they that their voters in their district support them in that. Right. I mean, they, they need to have the political cover from, from Oklahomans and from their constituents to be able to take what might be a, a hard vote. And so people really need to be there to voice their support uh, by writing letters and, and calling legislators, telling them that it's it's time to expand health care coverage this session. Um, might be a good time to talk about the rally That's, I was that we say, are hosting. You could write letters, make phone calls, or or or, or you can attend the or. rally for coverage <laughs> on April twenty fourth at the Capitol. Um, so so it's we're this coming Wednesday. Right, this coming Wednesday at ten a.m. At ten a.m. Okay. Um, so we're meeting at the Capitol. Um, we're going to have a lineup of speakers. We're going to have some legislators uh, speak, healthcare providers, um, some people that are affected by this uh, personally, um, and then we're going to invite people to go inside the Capitol and talk to their legislators about this. All right. And I'll put a plug in. Uh, Scott's not here, but he will be there yes. um, for that uh, that rally. I think he's one of the healthcare providers that may be speaking. He is speaking. So if you've never yeah. met uh, Scott in person and you're listening to the podcast, here's a good chance. Go ahead and request off work now uh, so, you can, so you can go and, and see him in 
in person. Um, and I have it on good authority that he'll be signing autographs. <laughs> if you got headshots made, I'm not aware of these. Maybe I'll just draw some pictures. I'll draw Scott's <laughs> yes. face and have him sign it and see how that works out. He's going to get a kick out yeah, of that when he listens perfect. to this episode later. Um, so for, and this is, um, you've got like a, a whole team of organizations, right? Like a whole coalition of of people who are advocating for coverage. Yeah. So we have a, a coalition for coverage and I think we're over, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Carly, I think over 30 organizations now. Oh, we're close to 50. Oh, we're close to 50 <laughs> organizations nice. um, that have, have come together around this issue. Um, you can go to coverok.org to see the full list of organizations that have signed on. Uh, you can also learn some facts about the issue there. Uh, and also, probably most importantly, write a letter to their to your legislator. There's an easy link on there to make it super easy. It'll go to your, your state rep and your state senator. Um, and that's coverok.org. Right. And there's um, so I've got it pulled up here uh, as we're talking and reading through the list of organizations. I mean, these are people like the American Heart Association, um, the Oklahoma State Medical Association, um, certainly you guys, NAMI, which is a mental health organization, um, the National Association of Social Workers, like, and a lot of disease-specific things, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, the Primary Care Association, Tulsa Cares, which deals with HIV up in Tulsa, um, the Oklahoma Academy, which I think is cool because they are um, similar, I think, to all of our organizations where they do a intentional, like, broad bipartisan town hall process to identify issues in our state that there is broad support about and try to push those out. And I think this is one of theirs from a few years ago. I feel, feels like mm-hmm. there are always a couple mm-hmm. of years whenever they, they identify this is something everyone supports. It takes like three to eight years before it actually happens. Um, so um, yeah, hospital association, Literally everyone, Cancer Action yeah. Network. And I think it's worth, we've even got, I mean, the Potts Family Foundation signed on pretty early. Oh, right. Um, and, I mean, the Potts Foundation, one of their primary issues is, you know, small children. How do we make sure that small kids are best equipped to live to the, um, to live to their best potential? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, not to keep beating the dead horse here, but, like, one of the best ways to ensure that kids are set up to succeed is to ensure that their parents are set up to parent. And one of those is, by golly, making sure that parents have access to health care as well as their kids. Um, there's been a lot of talk in Oklahoma about adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Um, and there's a couple different ways in which health coverage helps alleviate a couple ACEs. Living in poverty is an adverse childhood experience. And we know that when you expand access to care, family finances, um, are a little bit bolstered. We know that that helps shelter kids from the effects of poverty. Um, and we know that having a parent with an untreated mental illness is also an adverse childhood experience. And one of the things we've seen across states that have expanded access to care is that a lot of people finally get treatment for mental illness or substance use disorder that they'd previously just been coasting with. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, as a as a parent, Sabina, you're a parent as mm-hmm. well. I know I'm super blessed that I mean my kids have health insurance, um, and so just imagining what it's like, I, I probably take for granted the fact that like they get their well child checkups and everything's fine. But on the the times that we've needed to have like an extra test done, just knowing that we could do it. Um, but if those same issues came up, even if it's a non-issue, right? Like maybe like there was like a, my daughter had to have an extra hearing test done because it, she failed the first one. I mean, she's like four, so she may not follow the directions, but 
but there's that split second as a parent where you're like, oh man, what if like what if my daughter is hearing impaired and we just haven't noticed it yet? I'm like, yeah, do the next test. Well, if that's not an option, right? Like, then then you live with that anxiety of wondering first of all. And um, I have a family member who has um, a couple of young children, and her son was born tongue-tied. I forget the medical term, but where like the the little piece of skin underneath your tongue is too tight, mm-hmm. I think. And so he can't form words real well. And so he um, is delayed on his speech because he didn't have access. She didn't have insurance at the time. Um, and and she's someone who, like Carly said, knows about Sooner Care. Like she's had coverage before, but um, like there were a couple of gaps where she she got kicked off and she thought that meant that her kids got kicked off and so she just didn't go to the doctor. Oh, and man. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, no. And I was like, no, no, you, they still have coverage. And she's like, well, I don't have a card. And it said that, you know, I was like, no, no, just let's go to the DHS office and call. But um, but a lot of people don't have that someone to answer those questions. And so he's good now. He's getting some um, um, speech therapy and all that. But um, I think those... I mean, we've just from spitballing, I mean, we can come up with, I'm sure, hundreds of cases just like this um, for other Oklahomans who are living in this situation. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to the rally. So you guys aren't normally in the rally business. We aren't normally in the rally business. This is kind of Um, a big deal. This this is a big deal, but uh, we feel very passionate about this and we are, we are optimistic this year. Um that we that we can do something um but we need people to show up right so what can people expect when they show up is this going to be like the women's march or smaller so we're going to be set up on the south side of the capitol uh we'll get started around 10 a.m we'll have some tables set up where people can uh, get some information about the issue some talking points to go talk to their legislators um, some information just about how to navigate the capitol if you've never been to the capitol before don't be intimidated come on out because we're going to have people set up around to help people Um, if if the thought of going to talk to your legislator kind of gives you butterflies and makes you really nervous come out we'll find a volunteer to to go with you um, around 10 30 we'll start with our with our lineup of, of speakers um, and then after that we'll we'll go inside and start uh, visiting with legislators super so we're going to do outside um, like meet there at 10 mm-hmm. get registered hang out get yeah. some flyers around 10 30 some speakers to the audience mm-hmm. and then once those wrap up um, then everyone will kind of move inside which will probably probably be about the time that they are coming out of session, maybe right. breaking for lunch. And it's a good chance to catch them in their offices. Um, I will say from my experience, if you are planning to come to the rally and you, and you definitely should, um, that you, it would behoove you to call your legislator in advance and try to schedule an appointment for like 11, 15, That way you are on their schedule and maybe they can um, set aside some time to visit with you about this. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, also point out that we we want people from all over the state to come to the rally, and we're trying to make that as easy as possible and as accessible as possible. So if you have transportation issues, you, you can't drive to the city, we do have buses uh, coming. We have buses coming from uh, Tulsa, Norman, Ardmore, Lawton, and McAllister. Nice. Um, so if you want to 
join some people in your community and ride the bus up to Oklahoma City, go to coverok.org, and when you register for the rally, there's an option to sign up for the bus, and you just pick what city you're coming from. Uh, we'll make sure that you have all that information to get you up to the Capitol. Not only are you and trying to... Even if you're in Oklahoma City, we know that parking at the Capitol can be a little dicey at the very best of times. And so if you're in Oklahoma City, you can park at Remington Park um, in lot D3. Um, and we'll have shuttles running to and from the Capitol from Remington Park so that you're not, you know, just circling the Capitol in your car for 45 minutes trying right. to find a, a parking spot. Nice. That's what the teachers did, too. It seemed to be very effective. Well, I like We that... chatted with them when we were planning. <laughs> <laughs> not only are you... Are you trying to fix healthcare? You're trying to fix public transportation as well, which is a. I love that idea. It's kind of a twofold issue. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. After we fix this, then on to public we'll, transit. We'll tackle a couple other issues <laughs> while we're at it. Super. Well, um, Carly and Sabina, is there anything else about healthcare or about the rally that we haven't discussed that you feel to be uh, an important thing? No. Uh, well, I just would make one more pitch for, for people to come out. I mean, we had the, the teacher walk out last session and the rally. Uh, we saw what we can do when people come together. I mean, we had 30,000 people, I think, at the Capitol and um, people writing legislators and calling. And we got a major revenue raising package passed last session because people were loud and because people spoke up and connected with their legislators. Um, we have a chance to do that same thing this year around healthcare. We just need people to show up. All right. Carly, anything else from you? Oh, why would you make me follow Sabina? No, everything <laughs> she said. Um, we, Oklahoma, we've gone, I think, entirely too long with too many people um, getting by on hope and a prayer and some charity coverage when they can get it. Um, and I think we have a real opportunity to ensure that our friends and neighbors and people we've never met can have access to the health care that they need. Nice. I, I will add two things. Um, I'll, somehow I will follow Carly and Sabina. Um, that, that from a policy side, um, things that strike me, one is that, that there is, um, from your report and from what I've heard as well, a definite interest, dare I say an appetite, by a number of legislators from both parties to do this, right? Like we've, even the leadership has proposed somewhat silly plans to like expand on a county by county level, but like the Tulsa world had a, a editorial about oh, this. Don't saying, get me started on that. I mean, it's just like, well, if it's good enough for a few counties, isn't it good for everybody? Like why, why would you make it more complicated than it has to be? It's already complicated. So, so knowing that's the case, um, people like Senator McCourtney, who are, is a Republican from a rural area who said, listen, this is a big deal. It makes a lot of sense. So I think knowing that it's already out there, the the pump has been primed. We just got to pump it some more. Um, and then the other thing that just I, drives me nuts is that every Oklahoman who pays federal income tax has been paying for Medicaid expansion for like almost a decade now, right? Like every time you pay taxes, which is every transaction, <laughs> um, pretty much like uh, every time you get a paycheck, you are paying for Medicaid expansion. We just don't get it. Um, like, and so I, I don't want to do the math because I don't want to cry, but I, when you think about how much we've paid out over the last however many years since the ACA went into effect, that we've been actively paying every single year for Medicaid expansion and not getting it. Um, I think that is asinine, I guess, is probably the best word. So one Definitely. one gentleman that I met recently, um, he's from Oklahoma, 
but he moved to Denver. And in his words, he's a musician, which means that he worked in the food service industry. Right. His right. words, not mine. Right. <laughs> but uh, while he, and Colorado accepted expansion. So because Colorado was an expansion state, he had health insurance, which he wouldn't have had in Oklahoma. Right. So while he was there, he uh, had a horrible back injury, fallen off a roof. And while they were working him up for these, uh, these fractures, they incidentally found this tennis ball-sized brain tumor. Whoa. Yeah. And so he got, chemo- he got surgery and chemotherapy and treatment um, only because he had the dumb luck to be in Colorado right. when they found this rather than here. Right. So it's just crazy to think like our own citizens will have better outcomes like if they're in another state right now. Right. And we That's, could easily bring this money back home and do the same thing. Right. Well, and I think that I mean, this is probably a good note to end on. Oh, I would wager that almost everyone knows somebody who nearly died but didn't because they could go to the doctor. And they probably could go to the doctor because they had health insurance, right? Um, and so if that's you, listeners, if you know someone who has nearly died, but it's not <laughs> because they had health insurance, um, that's like an important story to resonate. I think that, like, listen, these other people would have died if they didn't have insurance. Think about how many hundreds or thousands of people out there don't have insurance and very well could die. Dun, dun, dun. I don't have my usual soundboard set up today, so... I have to do verbal effects. All right, Sabina, Carly, thank you both so much for being here. We will see you next Wednesday, the 24th, at 10 o'clock at the State Capitol for the Rally to Expand coverage. All right, uh, I'm going to quickly end this then. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Let's Pod This. Um, be sure to rate and share on social media and rate us on the App Store or whatever, wherever it is you listen to great podcasts like us. You should also listen to the Oklahoma Policy Cast, the OK Policy Cast, which is Sabina and Carly's organization's their podcast. I listen as soon as one comes out. Often you get to hear Carly on there too, which is always very exciting. Um, between now and the Rally to Expand coverage, you will probably get another episode from Scott and I. Uh, but we do really encourage you to go out. As I said earlier, Scott will be there speaking. Um, I'm attending as a, as a citizen who cares about this. Um, and uh, we hope to see you then. Have a great week. <laughs>